And here we are again. I'm Rob with the uh, House of X Book Club. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has been a blast already. Technical issues have been abound, and uh, we almost finished recording the uh, the first comic in tonight's duo. Uh, when we realized that we weren't recording. So, <laughs> but so if good. some of these sound rehearsed or yeah. very... Well, it's because we said stilted. it twice already. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so, at any rate, yes, I'm Rob with the House of X Book Club. I've got with me the Quiet Council. I've got Shane here, who is our intrepid uh, editor slash tech guy. And, and thank you, Shane, for being on top of things. I'm sorry everything is broken, and I promise to beat the computer when we get off of here. Oh, I don't want to hear about that. Raj, how's it going? Well, for the third time, it's going pretty good. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah. You know, the funny thing is, is Raj, we were waiting around to record tonight for Raj to show up, and he was yep. not showing up. So we're like, screw it. We're going to do it without him. And then he yep. came in at the last minute. And then we had to start over twice more. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, we have Rowan. Hello. Boy, you hello, 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 hello. <laughs> <laughs> and Drew, how's it going, Drew? You know, good. Uh, you know, I would I would like to say hello to all my fellow uh, Quiet Council members, as well as Shane and his Whisper Consortium, because we've forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, well, the Whisper, uh, we forgot because Shane flashy thing this. Now you've reminded us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Got to bring it back. <laughs> so we are going to be talking about a couple of X-Men comics. Um, it's a juggernaut. Yeah, again, add, add the word again. Come on now. Again. We're going to talk about it again. <laughs> so it's a juggernaut two-parter. X-Men number 32 and number 33. Uh, I think we could probably just jump into it, don't you guys? Um, so X-Men number 32 was released March 14th, 1967. The cover date is May of 67. Writing is Roy Thomas. Penciling is Werner Roth. Inks is John Tartaglioni. Lettering by Artie Simic. And of course, Stan the Man Lee did the editing. The title of this first issue is Beware the Juggernaut, My Son. And I have to point out that when we first started talking about it, I forgot to mention that this first page, I mentioned that it has a window and in the window, the X-Men are in their civilian clothes. They're at the Coffee-A-Go-Go celebrating Bobby's 18th birthday. But I forgot to mention that looming over that window is the shadow of the Juggernaut. And Shane reminded me, and I made a point that, well, yeah, I don't know if you're not supposed to know that it's the Juggernaut. And and yeah, like an idiot, I said that. Because right there on the front page, it says, beware the Juggernaut, my son. <laughs> Does anybody yep. besides me think that might be the, the original title to the Kansas song? <laughs> <laughs> Beware the juggernaut, my son. Uh, yeah, I think we need to write that one. <laughs> I'm going to be stuck in my head all night now. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Shane is really good at that. He's done that with a couple of things on this, uh, on this book club. So... <laughs> Uh, before we get into it, <laughs> before we get into it, I'm going to announce again. Welcome to Bobby Drake's 18th birthday party. How quickly they grow up and how slowly they age. And I want to talk about how I'm reminded that around 2012 or 2013, Bobby was dating Kitty Pride. Am I right in that? It's a long memory, but Shane, you read those, right? 
Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. I okay. mean, I can. They someone else talk. I'm going to go Google. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> they were dating, and in about I want to say 2012, 2013, Bobby was dating Kitty Pride. He seems to be aging in this comic right now in real time. Uh, well, and- kind of. It's been three years, and he's aged at most a year and a half. No. Uh, okay. Okay. He was sixteen, I thought, when it's when it all yeah, started. He was but he was already sixteen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Okay. So, so it's been three years and he's uh, yeah. Okay. So close. Um and so in real time, approximately twenty years from this point, Kitty Pride will be fourteen, which means that at that time he'll be thirty eight. And in twenty thirteen, when they'd be dating, twenty seven years later. Kate will be 41 and Bobby will be 65. So I guess it's okay that they were dating. Um, of course, we know that comic book time doesn't work like that or like anything. So happy birthday, Iceman. Yay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the story is it goes back and forth, which I think is kind of cool. I like the way that the story flip flop back and forth between perspectives. So, the issue begins with the X team in their civilian clothes and it's Bobby's birthday. And after coffee, a go, go celebrating. Um, and while that's going on, Xavier is in the mansion working on some secret experiment. And he opens up that door that everybody's been wondering about. And of course, what's in there is the juggernaut chain. Crimes of Xavier. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Rowan has strong feelings about this. <laughs> and, and before, wait, before before you get into him, Rowan, that none of his experiments need to be a secret. He just turns everyone's brain into tapioca, and they then forget that he was doing experiments at all. Right. There's that. Well, so let's let's go let's go ahead and talk about this. So Juggernaut is chained to this chair. He's there for months. And and Xavier talks about how he now he didn't kidnap him. Xavier, after they last fought, remember they had well, okay, so they had the human torch come in, you know, distract the juggernaut. Angel pulled off his helmet, they defeated the juggernaut, and Professor X mind wiped the human torch to send him on his way. Um a crime of Xavier. Yes, of course. <laughs> I've created a monster. Um, <laughs> so, so he he kind of flashes back to that and says that he did turn the juggernaut over to the the law enforcement, but at some point they handed him back to to Professor X and was like, "He's your brother, and he's in a coma. We can't do anything with this here." So he's like, "Great, I'm going to try to free my brother from the curse." of Sidorak, and I'm going to wake him up and hopefully have my brother back. Um, but his brother, of course, was a big dick before, so I, I can't see that going well. He's got a man in a coma in chains. This is a crime. <laughs> That's why we yeah. call it his sex dungeon. That's right. <laughs> so, um... Professor X's sadness basement. Well, what, what I wanted... <laughs> what I, I'm just... Okay, so my, my brain is is still trying to figure out why they handed the juggernaut off to him. Probably mind control them. Mind okay. control. So yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm thinking too. Is the only he... thing I can think of is because Xavier is 
Kane Marco's next of kin. Uh-huh. Like he, he's they're the only living family that each other has left that we know of, at least. So presumably this is true. So it, since he is rich and he probably, you know, used his powers a little bit to suggest that he had the capabilities within his house and the funds to be able to, you know, take care of this comatose brother of his. At some point, somebody's going to go, wait a minute. The juggernaut who fought the X-Men is your brother. You were at the hospital where the X-Men were when they were hurt last time they were fighting somebody. I guess I guess I should just stop there because he's mind wiped everybody. Bob is stretching. <laughs> maybe no, let's maybe he didn't mind wipe them. At this point, McDonald's had only been in Connecticut for like five years. Maybe he bribed them with tasty treats. <laughs> I mean that that would have worked for me with Krispy Kreme in the late nineties. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, I'll boy. change you this cheeseburger for the juggernaut. All right, here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, so he he replays in his mind that fateful incident. Now Xavier's got some guilt because he feels it's his fault uh, that that juggernaut, you know came back pissed off i guess he i think he tried to tell him not to touch the stone but they they're in the war they're in korea and they find this temple and juggernaut uh who I apparently was trying to run away he wasn't he like trying to like desert yeah he'd gone awol and uh xavier's going after him and there's this gem and he reaches and grabs the gem and that's when they are shelled and the whole temple is buried under rubble xavier takes off Okay, he leaves he leaves his brother there uh buried you know and and then he comes back to the states like after the war like it's no big deal um so that has me scratching my head too so when the juggernaut first shows up at Crime the of Xavier yes <laughs> <laughs> when, when the juggernaut first shows up at the X mansion he's pissed off and rightfully so First of all, you left me buried under this rubble, man. You didn't even try to help me. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 Xavier has this whole time thought, well, my brother's dead. Okay, I'm going to start a school for mutants. This sounds like a great idea. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I, I, I'm glad Xavier feels a little bit guilty there. Can we yes. talk for a second about the? Okay, I know Roger. You keep telling me not to think about the continuity. And the things of this. So we established pretty early on in this podcast that mm-hmm. we figured that Professor Xavier is six years older than Bobby. Like he's what, 22, right? Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at the beginning of the book, he was 22. Bobby was 16. Give or take. That that and that the book, the first book came out in um 1963. Mm-hmm. Um that means when he and Kane were in Korea, he was 12. If it happened at the end of the Korean War. They did say that it took Kane Marco 10 years to dig himself out. Right. But I'm saying Professor X would have been 12. Right. So that, no, but the 10 years does match up with that right. being 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Come on, so. Kane. We're going to get out of here before the whole place falls in on us. You better get out of there before you hit puberty. Um, <laughs> I have a pubic hair. I saw it yesterday. Oh, God. Uh, okay. Well, 
I think that that your math as far as Xavier being six years older than him is a little off. Um, it was pretty close to that. I'm almost positive we said it was he's six years older. How could that be though? Hmm. We we did the right. If you go back, I think to the first episode we talk about this. Mm-hmm. And then we did some rough reckoning about ages because somewhere there was some written clue somewhere in the first or second book. Yeah. About how old Xavier was. Okay. Because he talked about university and all that. And we just kind of like extrapolated from there. Extrapolated, on- you know, the like when you're figuring out the age of the Bible, who begat who, and you go back you know, <laughs> equals like six thousand years or whatever. That's the kind of thing we were doing. okay wow forget everything i said about bobby and kate pride dating Uh, (laughs) because things just got weirder okay you're welcome Uh, thank you yeah so we could add of the crimes to xavier the fact that he lied about his age when he went into when he went into the (laughs) army (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> hey you know what that's that's on the military if they're if they're taking a 12 year old shame on them <laughs> right <laughs> let's go back to the uh let's go back to the cafe so at the cafe the x-men are having a good old time uh bernard the poet decides to write a poem for bobby in celebration of his 18th birthday and an appreciation for the cake and, oh, can yeah, I can I read the poem because yep. it's it's yep. pretty epic you guys go for it you <laughs> you the audience will love this poem a birthday's like a comely lass from shadows from shadowed night she she does appear yet all the while you know alas she'll only see you once a year <laughs> that's it that's great that's what he's known for yeah and everybody loved it <laughs> partly cuz it was short yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Bobby. No, is it Bobby or is that Warren? It's Warren. Says I think I like I liked it better than the other one. And then uh, Bobby says, "Where is it? Where is Bobby?" Oh, it doesn't matter. He says something about it being short, and that's why it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I think he said, "As long, yeah, as long as it's short, it'll it's great." Something yeah. like that. Page two, top of page two. He says, "I'll be happy if it's just if it's just short." Right. So. So they are, are they are there enjoying this party, and um, a bunch of bikers bust in because the head biker, the leader, um, Mister Rocky Rhodes, who is a, a beard nick, as described by I think Zelda, she calls him a beard nick. Um, he asked Zelda, mean. "Well, he, you know, he's not a beat nick. He's, he's, he's a got beard. a beard. He's got the beard. Yeah." It's kind of like yours, Raj. Uh, I um, guess you, me, and Drew, we're all beardniks. <laughs> we're beardniks. Shane needs to join the party. So, man, I'm 50 years old, and I still, I still get the all oh, the the teenager gap. Right <laughs> <laughs> so, so these bikers bust in, and apparently the leader asked Zelda out. She said no, so they want a wreck shop, and uh, the X Men throw down with their their danger room training they don't bust out their powers because they don't want people to know that they're mutants i mean bobby does kind of discreetly freezes the floor so that a motorcycle crashes and then gene pulls like the helmet down over somebody's eyes and he crashes and then the rest of it is the x-men working together as a team to thwart these jerks who have ridden their, you know rode their bikes into a 
into a into a cafe. So it's a, I think it's a pretty cool scene. Yeah, no, it was really cool to see the just the whole um, camaraderie build through the first half of the book that was uh-huh. has kind of been really absent before now. I mean, you know, they do they've done more individual stories, but this I felt like really was trying to solidify them as a a group of chums. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is the first time we've seen them hanging out outside of costume, like in their civilian identities and outside of the mansion, like in a public setting, just being teenagers hanging out together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All all of them together. I I have to give Zelda credit for knowing uh-huh. not to go out with the biker that dressed like uh one of Elton John's backup dancers. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was going to say it looks like one of the village people, but um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and it's it's what's funny about it is is this was this is what um sixty six right sixty seven sixty seven. So okay, so four years after the X Men debuted, sixty seven. So it's going to be like another twenty two years before these guys get another gig as the biker gang in weird science. (laughs) (laughs) The X-Men and their civilian guys uh, defeat the bikers and the non-X-Men friends, the girls, you know, uh, Candy Southern, who's Warren's friend and, uh, and uh, Zelda and even Bernard the poet and, and Vera, none of them notice that these are mutants. So they succeed now back at the mansion. Xavier has this plan to help the juggernaut. He wants to, he's created this uh, Emerjo transformer that will sap the power of the Crimson Gen of Sidorak from the juggernaut and send it off into the cosmos someplace. How does that so, make sense? Yeah, well, it's, yeah. Magnetism. <laughs> Now's not the time to start asking. Yeah, <laughs> we're in issue thirty-two. <laughs> Roger got real serious. Did you see that look on his face? He's like, dude, because now? it's a very valid point. <laughs> Come on, Drew. <laughs> yeah, now is not the time. Uh, things will get stranger. Trust me. So, yeah. <laughs> so of course, of course, he puts this like ha- hairdresser-looking thing, you know, this like hair dryer-looking thing on his head and on the juggernaut's head, and. Uh, this looks the like some machine. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like some machine out of like an old 1950s science fiction movie, you know. Um, and I told Rowan that that this could not go right. This is this is going to get all Freaky Friday, and they're going to swap places or something. But um, what happens is he puts it on, and he realizes Xavier realizes right away that there's another mind that they're dealing with. There's another presence and this equipment is not equipped to deal with three minds. It's only equipped to deal with two. And so there's an explosion and Xavier is knocked unconscious. Meanwhile, the juggernaut wakes up from his long coma and has his power still as well as Xavier's, which I think is pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I, I want a, what if, what if juggernaut kept Xavier's powers? The shows are going around and flashy thinging everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what's going to happen with that. At any rate, the X-Men have to fight him when they come back. And, um, well, wait, now we did, you skipped over 
uh, uh, the most important part of the book is Bobby's first kiss with a girl. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I didn't skip over that. We talked about it once before. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we remember last time it. when it didn't record. Yeah. yeah. That, that's <laughs> the one. Um, you're right, though. So, so there are some things that happen in this book. Um, Bernard the poet, as I brought up, uh, you know, he's he's got gray hair and a beard, a gray beard, and he often drops by to impress Zelda and hits on her. Now, Bobby's really cool about like chasing him off because he'll the first time he froze his espresso and Bernard was like, uh, I guess this is my cue to leave. I still would have been like, what the hell happened to my espresso? You know, I, I'm clueless enough. I wouldn't have left. I just would have stood there hitting on the girl trying to figure out why my espresso was frozen. But this time he's cool. He starts to say, hey, everybody. And Bobby's like, here, have some cake. And Bernard goes off eating the cake. Of course, he does, you know, write that killer poem. Now, Bernard, though, is like I said, he's got gray hair and a gray beard. I feel like he's a bit old to be hitting on Zelda. Because she's around Bobby's age. She was 18. So she might be 19. She might be 20. She might be 17. Bernard, to me, looks like he's in his 40s. I don't I don't think you're wrong in that assumption. Well, I think that I don't think that you're wrong in that assumption. I don't think that I don't even know if it was meant to be particularly anything except a guy hitting on Zelda. I mean, the way that women and girls are treated in these books, it's not utterly terrible, but it's. I mean, look what happened just because somebody's just because Zelda said no to someone. They made that a a thing, and these bikers come b- barreling in. Uh, throwaway dialogue is here's my girlfriend. Look, but don't touch. I mean, it's like it's just throwaway dialogue. Like it's just a thing. It's just that this is the way the the guys write, and so it's just a it's just a, a man hitting on a teenager. It's just a thing. Well, it's that's brings up some good points. I mean, well, when you say it like that, Rowan, it sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so during during the course of this conversation, I've kind of in my in my own head canon, um, Bernard the poet is the inspiration for that character from Dazed and Confused, who has who's got that quote. Oh about my god! Girls, <laughs> yeah. High school girls, you know, staying the same age as he gets older. Yep. There's all right, all right, all right. <laughs> oh yeah, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just Bernard. Okay. Right, I so- let's go back to the art for a second. I'm still sure. digging the art. I know that Shane wasn't happy with it, but I still uh, like the cover art because he's whipping everyone's ass. The juggernaut's oh. got the X-Men on the ropes. There's a broken yeah. wall behind him. The composition really grabs your attention. It's one of those again, it's one of those cheesy typical uh, comic covers were like in this issue everyone dies and of course nobody dies it's just they're building up the drama and trying to it get it is you a buy really it. yeah it is a really yeah. great cover i mean juggernaut rex shot on the cover he's oh he just like yeah he's holding somebody in one hand and they're like limp look like their back is broken it's yeah and like dragging warren by his wing at the by same time yeah i actually see things like this actually make me want to see that happen I, I know that sounds bad. You're a I sick just, man. Raj. I want to <laughs> grab Warren by the wing, fling him around, smack him against the wall. Just be like, get a better power as you smash yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know, Drew, if you're aware of this, but in in the far distant future of the X-Men, and by oh. far distant future, I mean the early 2000s, uh, 
Spoiler Angel. alert. Spoiler Angel. alert. Yeah, yeah, spoiler alert. Angel has the power to heal people with his blood. Is that an X-Force? That sounds familiar. That, it happens in X-Men. I mean, he's he's in Uncanny X-Force, so it may take place at that point. But it's during, I think it's Chuck Austin's run of X-Men. Um, but, you know, he's supposed to actually be somewhat angelic, and so his blood heals which is so cheesy, and I think a lot of people want to forget it even happened. <laughs> I mean, at least it's it's better than oh, I have wings, and that's it, and hollow bones. Hawk vision. Mm -hmm. So, so I want to just let's... say something about yeah. I, look the, the art. Okay, let's. I mean, we've got to be realistic about it because, like, the first panel. Okay, space ghost attacking the kids at the coffee and <laughs> go go, and the the coffee and go go is apparently built in a building that is multiple stories tall and has nothing else going on, but this teeny window set in a giant building. Okay. Because I mean, look, the fire hydrant outside is bigger than like Zelda's entire head and upper body. Yeah. But that's trying to show <laughs> distance. She's in the distance. So she looks smaller, but she's the, 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 the fire hydrant is right outside the window. Yeah. they're sitting in the window it's, it's like a forced perspective thing but you're right it wasn't done quite they're trying to shove a lot into the into the frame and as you go through the book cyclop ages a good 20 years between pages three and five it, it, or, i'm sorry between well, pages I, two and five one of my one of the things that stood out to me i'm not saying you're wrong but page two the the bottom left corner shows Jean Grey and Scott dancing. And the way they drew Jean, as well as the other characters all over this page, Bernard being one of them, they all look unique and different. Now, in a lot of the past books, the art, the characters all pretty much look the same. They just have like different hairstyles or different including color hair. But the faces, yeah, including the X-Men, they're all very similar. But in this, I can see differences in the people. And that stood out to me. Very cool. But again, we're dealing with color, plain color backgrounds. There's a lot of blue and white and yellow. And I've harked on that in the past. And I'm seeing it again here. But there are bits here and there that stand out to me. I Roger, do wonder... I... I hate though. to I, I hate to to break it to you, Raj, but you are a cartoon character drawn with a weird colored background. <laughs> <laughs> and I do I do wonder if some in some of the like some of the backgrounds here could be an issue with the digital transfer. Because we've talked about like coloring and things like that a few times here. Mm -hmm. But it some of these look like it just could be an issue where it was like, oh man, we transferred that background and it looks like bigfoot's butthole let's just kind of color it in with a solid color and and move on just to kind of yeah, save time you kind of wonder that don't you because that'd be yeah. a fairly quick and easy thing to do yeah i mean it was oh you know because we've got the that with the the trio we originally thought could be representing uh you know a trio of of black jazz musicians are in color here now but were they is it possible that like when we first saw them in that first issue the first time they went to the coffee a go-go that it was just an oh we need to get this colored quick well mm -hmm. let's just turn yeah, them all blue sure. yeah sure make them part of the background yeah 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 of course so some of, of that course. stuff i kind of I, I do kind of look past and you know and the attention because the attention to detail 
really didn't come up until much later in comics. It wasn't as big of a part of it. It was, I mean, and it varied from comic book to comic book as well. We've talked in the past about the how much time they have to illustrate a book, and yeah. it's not a lot. Yeah, well, plus when you're drawing 17 books. <laughs> yeah, like, like like Kirby was doing, if you're drawing like eight or 10 books every month, you, you're going to slam it out and get it done and not worry about finessing it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and in addition to like the, the uh, juggernaut changing size every yeah every it, every panel um, Professor X's head changes size every panel yeah no I noticed that yeah yeah you're right it's like it's like well he looks like one of the in on like page what was it page nine he looks like the leader of the Mars attacks crew and well, then dude, look on at, page ten he's got a normal size head look at page four bottom left his his cranium is like ginormous dude. <laughs> and it's and but see that the thing is that reminded me the first few issues where they drew him with a bigger head kind of like they did the the leader in the um hulk comics where they're trying to make you think like he's got a bigger brain he's got a slightly bigger head that's why he has psionic abilities and all this kind of stuff see and all it makes me think is the line from um so i married an axe murderer oh he's gonna cry himself to sleep tonight into his huge pillow <laughs> look at the size of that thing like sputnik, it's like sputnik. It's move jealous. your head boy move your head <laughs> <sighs> well uh so i sorry i just totally like sidetracked the whole no, thing that's, that's totally all right. fine I totally you can fine. never not talk enough about so I married an axe murderer, sir. I mean, I think we've covered a lot of points here. The the X-Men end up fighting the juggernaut. And, you know, he he ends up using Xavier's powers to hit a mind bolt at Gene and then yeah. gets away. Of course, um, you know, the X-Men fight off these these bikers that break into the coffee go go and try to wreck shop. Um, but it's I think it's a really cool issue. I like that there's double perspective here. I like that they're showing the X-Men as teenagers hanging out together, having a good time, even if there's a fight. Um, you know, and then I like that there's Xavier doing his insidious mad scientist stuff, you know, and whatever he's doing to his stepbrother. Um, you know, off to the side. Crimes like- for Xavier. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> Is he from Kentucky? so so but there's also i wanted to bring up a point too about warren he talks about relationships in this issue and you get the feeling that he's becoming an adult like he kind of knows what's going on with gene and he knows that you know she doesn't want him and that's all good and whatever um but you know and he also knew that he had to get over that and and i think the writing there is kind of cool so so there is some character development being shown which yeah which like I'm, i said that was my that, that my favorite part of this issue was there was there was a whole lot of character development in the first couple pages yeah yeah and i don't know why but when we, we were reading comics in the 80s i dug candy southern i thought she was a cool character um and again i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> because we were teenagers and they drew her as the girl that when Warren went to visit her, she was like wearing a bikini and a bathrobe. That might be it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Answers. It. 
that answers it. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, finishing thoughts on this issue, you guys. I had a, there was a couple of things for me in this issue that were, I don't know, kind of, kind of iffy, but like kind of cool at the same time. Like the whole juggernaut reveal on page four, where he, it's, it's revealed that he has juggernaut locked in, in his basement the whole time. Like did not see that coming. Totally. I love didn't. that. Um, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And like, it was it's it was very weird too because like all of a sudden he's got the juggernaut locked in his basement and at first I was like wait a minute what what happened to him at the end of the last issue he was in I I got to go back and read that but then a couple panels or a couple pages later they you know they talk about how he was given so, into Charles Xavier's care so it kind of yeah. crossed that but so like... um some of our listeners will know this uh, Drew of course knows this everybody else knows this that it's here but. Uh, we play a, a role-playing game, the old Marvel role-playing game from the 80s, and I basically use the X, old X-Men comics as like game modules. Um, so before Drew showed up into our game, our crew actually ended up uh, you know, being shown what was in that dungeon. Like Xavier said to Cyclops, Cyclops I think, or was it Wolverine and Havoc? It was Wolverine and Havoc. Yeah. He was like, okay, I got to show you guys this. I've been keeping this a secret. And he opens up that door and there's the juggernaut. And they're, holy shit, dude, what are you doing keeping this guy in here? Who is this? Of course, that was the first time we met the juggernaut in our game. But yeah, we screwed everything up really quick in that game. As we do. Yeah, as we do. So um, I do want to say I thought it was really cool when they went back to the mansion and Warren's flying in solo and he's like man this is like deja vu and I was like yeah because these are the panels from the last time you did that <laughs> yeah pretty much the very and, same and the staircase that turns into the super happy fun slide yeah why why is there a staircase going into professor xavier's secret lab thank you i asked that same question why he needed the super happy fun slide because every house of horrors needs one of those <laughs> i mean yeah. good luck getting your wheelchair down there buddy you Sorry. know the other door the <laughs> other door has a tube that rotates as you walk through it um <laughs> so, so one of the things that got me in this issue though was on page five um when professor xavier is like kind of re reliving the whole juggernaut story that we've already read but he yeah. he says um only the combined might of the x-men and the human torch were able to defeat him that is patently false like, they could have used they, he was only they were only a distraction so yeah. that he could might wipe them yeah yeah he could have used Pip the Troll to distract the Juggernaut. Well, <laughs> Howard the Duck could have. I would have been awesome. Distracted. Howard the Irving, Duck. Irving crossover. Irving Forbush could have come in and, and distracted. The <laughs> Bernard the Poet could have Bern distracted him. Fuck yeah! Now that I think Bernard could have touched the Juggernaut in a place that is well, illegal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not where I was going with that. But okay, on that note. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was a great issue. I enjoyed it. I'm glad to see the Juggernaut because I love that guy. Um, quickly, the crimes of Xavier lock, locking the Juggernaut up for months in a coma, and and how the hell did the law hand him over? It had to have been by coercion or mental manipulation on the part of Charles Xavier. Yes, bribed so, him with chocolate shakes from McDonald's. That's right, <laughs> Shamrock shakes. Here's a and, cheeseburger, and give me my brother. 
I'll give you, I'll give you a McRib. Oh, wait, I also gave you diarrhea. <laughs> so going in on that note, going into the next issue, X-Men 33, uh, release date was April 11th, 1967. That cover date it was June of 67. Roy Thomas writer, Werner Roth penciler, John Tartaglioni, inker Sam Rosen is the letter, and of course Stan is the editor. This issue is entitled "Into the Cos Into the Crimson Cosmos." So the story stuff is: it's Juggernaut's on the run. He's headed to uh, steal a plane so that he could fly to Europe to meet with Factor Three. All this time, we've been building up this whole Factor Three business. Um, of course, the X Men are. <laughs> They're trying to figure out how, you know, first of all, the Xavier's in a coma. Second of all, we got to stop the juggernaut. How do we do that? Oh, I know. We'll contact the ancient one. Okay. Oh, that's all. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's get a hold of the ancient one. He'll know what to do. Well, can, so, we, can we take a second to talk about how juggernaut defeated his most hated foe? And his teen, his team of teens, and what is the first thing you decided to do was go climb a tree. Go climb a tree. Yep. Page yep. one. First page. <laughs> well. Just made and you know, and Roger was talking about the cover on the last issue. And this one does not live up to the one. I <laughs> really like this cover. This, do this you one, really? I do, yeah. This that one likes reminds this the this detail one, on this cover is great. This one reminds me of when they would have like the exclusive Taco Bell eight-page comic book. This yeah. would be about the quality <laughs> of the cover and I the disagree. interior. Of I disagree. I think the quality is at least as good as the Slurpee cups from Seven <laughs> Eleven. No, the detail in his hands, like in the Juggernaut's hands, is amazing, and the colors are are fantastic. Oh, yeah, but the, it's so heavy that the the use of black it's the, juggernaut. the black outline he's supposed to be heavy. Look, the, the, man, the Germans consistent. the Germans have a word that applies to this, and that word is Isa. <laughs> That's what this is. Steaming yeah, it's, pile. It's like as it starts at the top and it's big, thick, heavy lines, and as it goes yeah. down down the page, they get wispier and thinnier, like an old lady's hair. Okay, are you guys looking at the cover right now? I yes. just want you to look at one thing for me. Warren's I, ass. Wh why do you always have us look at Scott's <laughs> Look genitals? at Warren's ass. <laughs> look, look how shapely that is. Okay. That's, well, that's white yeah. boy shapely there, Drew. Drew. I think you need to <laughs> get out of the sticks. True. Buy your trades with a few other, a few other gentlemen before you talk about how nice that ass is. So... <laughs> So to divert attention from Warren's ass, um, we could talk about Nightwing all you want, but that's the wrong podcast for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they try to get a hold of the ancient one. Now he's a big name in Marvel mysticism, and, but apparently they don't know that the ancient one is dead, and instead accidentally get a hold of Doctor Strange, which I'm cool with because I love Doctor Strange. Right on a crossover with Doctor Strange. Um, the good doctor says that they need to take a journey into the Crimson Cosmos, but because of the dangerous mystical nature of the trip, only two people can go. 
So, of course, Scott uh, is going to go because he's the deputy leader, and he has to choose one of the X-Men. He chooses Gene, which is a surprise to everybody, I think even to Scott. Um, because then he he of course Whoa, makes a comment. Said that. <laughs> I mean that honestly, besides the whole love love triangle thing, that did make the most sense to me sure. out of all the people to take. Sure. Well, it, it kind of shows that there's development in him. You know, there's he's he's dropping this whole oh she'll never love me, and he's like you know what she is probably the best equipped for this. Uh, but he does ask himself, am I saying that because I want her to be with me, or am I saying that because she's the best choice? Well, quit asking yourself these damn questions and just go with it, you know, do your job. But yeah, do anyway, your damn job, Cyclops. Yeah, do your job. So there was something I noticed in this issue that I hadn't oh. really noticed before uh -oh. um, is people talking from out of the panel whom are never identified as to who said what, what they said. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, 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 that does was, happen. And in fact, I remember asking Rowan, I'm like, who said that? Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it was Dr. Strange comes and explains exactly what needs to happen. Scott picks Gene to go. They go and some halfwit goes, oh, my God, where'd they go? I'm thinking that's Warren, though, because he does usually call it says now Psych and Genie are fading away. What's going on? And he usually always calls him Psych and he calls Gene Genie. So I'm betting that's Warren. Yeah, probably because he's got feathers for brains. <laughs> well, the idea is that they're going to go into the Crimson Cosmos and grab the prototype of the Crimson Gem of Sidorak. I'm a little unclear as far as what the hell is going on with that. Um, yeah, I, and I noticed everybody here is shaking their heads. Um, yes, well, prototype implies it was built and is the original version of some sort of mechanical construct, right? Or something like that. I think primordial would have been a much better word here. At one point, they call it the spiritual double or the spirit double of the spirit form of the direct gem you know i i don't i don't know at any rate they're supposed to grab that gem and bring it out and dr strange has told them but you got to do it within an hour otherwise you got going to be stuck there forever first they have to go to korea right and then find the temple where juggernaut got the gem and and then is that they, what happens yeah oh i did korea. i had no clue i was just like okay they're in a different world but yeah i guess they're in yeah. korea they go to korea and then they go into the crimson cosmos from there um and uh as they go back to Korea, they literally go back to the to where that cave is or the, the yeah. gym is is kept. While they're in the Crimson Cosmos, they come across uh a character named Zorak. Zorak's like, look, the, the ancient one locked me up here. Uh you guys can screw off. And they're like, Oh no, no, we need that gem. He's like, like hell you do, you're not getting this gem. So they end up fighting with him and and they end up defeating him in one of the goofiest ways. Uh, this whole thing was so screwy. I have never seen anyone defeated by fruit by the foot before. What and, and who thought that like military helmets looked like Shogun warrior heads? Yeah, because that's how they dress in Korea during war times, right? Uh, yeah, it was like it was uh, who, so. Who, I'll tell you who thought. Possibly a Jewish white guy by the name of Stanley. Um, <laughs> And speaking of that, like while they're in Korea, Gene's doing a 
telekinetic probe of what yeah. rocks exactly right. what sort of exact what sort of brainwave is is a rock giving off and well, how Xavier's, is she... Xavier's already done this with like buildings and machines and robots and I don't know dinosaurs he he can mentally probe the area to find something and I think what it is is we're looking at it as like I'm mentally probing I'm probing your mind when what they're doing is they're using their minds to probe the area I don't see the difference <laughs> yeah, that sounds like bullshit to me, Robert. I think the idea is that it's supposed to be kind of like astrally projecting, you mean. Look, I, I gave you what I had. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> telekinesis radar? I, I don't know. Magnetism? Um, yeah. <laughs> How they defeat this guy is with a watch. Gene, like, pulls off her watch and and... and Zorak is like, oh no, get it away from me. And they're like, what, this? Ah, oh, get it away. <laughs> get behind she, me, Satan. And she tosses it on him and he turns to dust. I mean, I know you guys won't get this reference because it's a little it's a little young for you, but like all I could th- all I could think <laughs> Dude, that of was here, a slam in our oldness. <laughs> yeah. All I could think of here was um in Yu-Gi-Oh, there's this card called the Time Wizard, and it's literally just like a clock that's dressed like a wizard. And that's I just thought of him like attacking this demon <laughs> well i think what it is is that zorak has to come to terms with, like. he has to come to terms with time and he's a lot older than than he wants to admit and when he finally admits that he's that old because time does pass he's turns his age he turns his age and he, he's a pile of dust so then they you know they grab the gem and they're good to go back um i did and i hopefully gene grabbed her signal watch which I right, not that's what that sure. was. Right, not quite sure where those came from, but they have them now. Oh yeah, no, those were the watches I think that they gave that Xavier gave them that they can uh, contact <laughs> Xavier to let him know that they want to talk to him mentally because they can't reach him mentally. They have to have like this little thing. Anyway, I just think that's his little portable mind wipe device. It just like oh, oh they're they oh they know too much. Bam. Yep. So um, one thing here that I think is cool, like when they're fighting the juggernaut, because so Gene and Scott go into the Crimson Realm and the rest of the team have to fight the juggernaut. And they hit him with a helicopter. They are trying to cut that son of a bitch in half. And he's (laughs) like, yep, it's not going to work. I'm too tough. And, And the whole helicopter is wrecked. Now they blame him for wrecking the helicopter. I think they should have seen it coming. Well, they, well, I mean, they say know, that they knew it wasn't going to survive. Yeah. yeah. Well, Cyclops is the team leader. They don't want to say, "Yeah, sorry, we wrecked the helicopter." Yeah, it was jug- no, Juggernaut. He hit it. How this ends is Gene and Scott come back with the Crimson Gem, and they're like, "Look what we got!" And he's like, "Oh, the Crimson Gem, give it to me!" And he takes it and he's shunted off to the Crimson Cosmos, and they're like, "Great." We don't have to deal with him again ever. And that was odd. He faded away and exploded at the same time. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but I, I thought he just aged into dust, like a bad movie. Oh, not oh, Juggernaut. No, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Zorak aged to dust. Yeah, Z- yes. Juggernaut just vanished. He got sent to the Crimson Cosmos. The last panel on page nineteen. He's he's fading away. 
Um, and then Beast says, get back, crew. She's going to blow. Um, misgendering the juggernaut in the 60s. And then <laughs> all of a sudden he explodes. I was like, wait, I thought he faded away. So I do have issues with this issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but I did find it fun. And I think it's I really want the factor three to be like the big bad. And I'm sorry, but they never quite make it. They 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 don't scare me. They don't feel like a threat. Magneto feels like a threat. You know, when he's around, you're like, this guy can wreck the world. And then when he's not around, you're like, what is he plotting? You know, <laughs> See, I, I disagree about that, though. Like factor three does feel like a viable threat to me because like they clearly have information about the X-Men that mm-hmm. nobody else has and they're able to enact these plans like they're, they're able to come up with these plans that they're actually able to enact unlike any of the other incompetent supervillains we've seen yeah. and the fact that we don't know their identity yet kind of it just leads to that feeling of oh they they can you know wreck some stuff be- just because we don't know who they are yet i'm sure right. that'll change once we know who they are but as of now i do feel like they're a credible threat yeah, right now, Factor 3 seems like a threat. They're foreboding right now. So I w- I've got a question for you guys. Who do you think the Factor 3 are? K-pop. K-pop. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that one, Shane. <laughs> I have to say that I already had my suspicions. If it wasn't Magneto, then they were probably going to be third stringers. Yeah, that's what I was or, thinking, Or too. somebody new. And, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I actually, have no idea. I actually know who they are. So I Well, I'm of course you do, Rob, but I don't yeah. think the rest of us do. No, well, I, I do. Have... I finished the reading. Yeah, but even with the reading that we've done, I still don't really know who they are. Yeah, no, no, no. They uh you don't get their their the factor three, the organization, you don't get their identities until a little while later. Yeah. Um but but yeah, and and I guess they do have the power to move you you know the power to move you the power <laughs> to control you know the power of mind bullets <laughs> so but but you know they do get a lot of bad guys on their side yeah i think in the series once they're discovered and and their identity is is you know divulged you never really hear from well they got robots and surveillance and the mountains are opening up and oh and a base in europe I do have to say, though, like <laughs> I, I, I'm speaking of Factor 3 as a threat, like in the bubble of what we're reading. Yeah, Given yeah. that, right. like, I know next to nothing about the X-Men in general, like be- beyond what we're reading and beyond the movies that have come out and the 90s TV show. The mm-hmm. fact that I've never heard of Factor 3, but I, you know, I know who Magneto is and I know who a couple of their other villains are, leads me to believe that they, they're going to become quickly irrelevant. Right, right, right. Boiler uh-huh. alert, Drew. Jeez. I well, mean, for any anyone time. in the audience who's following along that doesn't really know much about X Men, can probably will probably say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Any last thoughts before we uh, call it? I do. I have two thoughts. On page two, second panel, the editor blurb says exactly one second later. Well, yeah, no shit. Like it's the next panel. Why do you need to say that it's exactly one second later? I don't, I just, I stand once again, thinks we're idiots and it drives me crazy. 
<laughs> and then the second thing from page two, uh, the National Guard. So the book opens. It's Juggernaut up in a tree, you know, uh, scouting, presumably. I Who knows? He's in a tree. And then the very next panel, because it's a splash page on page one, the very next panel is the National Guard fighting Juggernaut. Where the hell did the National Guard come in? Like, what? <laughs> How are they shoot, there? They're shooting a bazooka at him. They plan on taking him out. It's like he's causing what? mayhem already. He just escaped and the National Guard's already after him. For me, these two issues were probably my two least favorite oh. out of all of the ones we've read. Wow. I just didn't I didn't maybe I was feeling a little salty when yeah. I read them, but these just like I was I mean, I was just I had to hold back because, like, yeah. I, this whole thing was. I almost wrote two pages of notes on these two issues because I was just going to shit all over it. And I was like, this is actually borderline mean. I'm being mean to dead people. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I do full disclosure, I fell asleep twice while reading this issue. Yeah. So that's where I stand with it. Well, I, I did not care for this issue that much. I've um, been reading them in parts. I can't sit down and read a whole one anymore it just doesn't hold my interest enough and at the end of the day i get i fall asleep too so i mean you're not alone <laughs> in that you're just getting old roger i know dude i totally am i admit it <laughs> well thanks for reading you guys um that was issues number x-men issues 32 and 33 a bunch of juggernaut stuff little factor three stuff and you know xavier unconscious long, long enough to not commit any crimes thank god so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for this episode and we'll catch you next time when we're reading issues number 34 and 35 what do you say hooray Yay. all right Bye. catch you later Bye.